I mentioned that um, in doing Bible study, sometimes when you read, read quickly through the passage, you, uh, you miss some of the deeper meanings. And so this particular passage in Ephesians 4 is a significant passage that we've been camping on for a while. And it's been a couple of weeks. The Woos were here last week talking about their, the mission work. And, and we're going to pick up on some of that theme of, of partnering with God. Uh, as we as here at CBC really want to pick up that same spirit that what they're doing in Hong Kong and Singapore, we want to do that here in Chesterland. But to do so, we get into Ephesians 4, which is a, a complicated passage. And so we're going to break this down little bit by little bit. As we go on and we talk about being graced, grounded, and gifted as a, as a body of Christ, there's something about you all, or you guys, as I mentioned before, is that uh, God is doing something unique among us as a community of believers who are called into Christ to follow him and watch him and witness for him wherever we are. And so this particular passage I want to go back to review because it's been two weeks since we've been there. And uh, I don't know if the backgrounds will come out on this or not, but here's, here's the review, uh, just to bring us up to speed. Against the background of, of the Ephesian pagan religion, in a world of evil, God planted a church there in Ephesus and around the world. But he establishes in the book of Ephesians from the beginning on, that we have a purpose, a mission, a calling, and it's a redemptive calling. There's something about what we are ought to be about is about redemption. And as we move into that, uh, he completes uh, the redemption on the cross. We know that what Christ did was to bring about the sozo, the salvation, which is the same word for health. The fact that God is going to bring us back and to reverse the curse and to do something new that the old things will pass away. And if you are in Christ, you are a brand new creation. You get a new start. You get a whole new life because you've been brought back in and bonded to Christ. And now God continues that same work of salvation, but now he's doing it beyond the cross and he's doing it beyond the resurrection. And so that power that Christ brought about to have our sins forgiven, he's now going to bring about in the resurrection to have our sin, that power of sin broken. And so there's something going to be taking place through the church, which is his body. Because in this world, it, it, there's a lot of division, a lot of split, a lot of that duality that we think uh, we compartmentalize our life. But in Ephesians 1.10, we learn that God is integrating heaven and earth, and he's bringing all the cosmos together. He's gathering together under his Son. And that, uh, that body, those who are baptized into Christ, and you're called into Christ, you have all the resources of heaven aimed at you. And therefore, as he moves into the Ephesians 2, you are the workbench. You are the workmanship of the Holy Spirit, and he's doing a work in the human heart. And therefore, as we go into Ephesians 3, you see that institution of the church where Christ is building his body by strengthening each person individually in the inner man so that we all understand how, how, how wide, 
how, how, how long, how deep, and how high the love of Christ is. And that's our goal as we understand and get a taste of glory, the taste of grace. We really do become grounded and we understand who we are in Christ. And so as he moves into chapter 4, uh, chapter 4 he starts with the therefore and he reminds us in chapter 4 that we are called we are chosen, we are made alive, and we are set apart. We are a peculiar people. Uh, there are other words that people would use, but the word for peculiar is we are unique in the universe because we have been uh, introduced to the mystery of God's will, what God is doing. And he makes that known to us. And so... As we understand, we want to respond in obedience and faith and trust. And therefore, Paul calls us to live in a manner worthy of that calling, worthy of that Lord. And so that's just the review as we go into chapter 4. And two weeks ago, I talked about overcoming doubts, demons, and death. And the, the theme there was that we want to walk in a manner worthy, but we want to walk uh, in step with the Trinity. And that Trinity means who God is. The, 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 the community of, of, of the Godhead in himself. Jesus loves the Son. Uh, Jesus loves the Spirit. The Spirit loves the Father. The, the Father loves the Son. And all that essence of who God is at the core is love, grace, in motion. And when God moves, he moves on behalf of somebody else. There's no selfishness in the Trinity. And so as we walk with God, we too become like him and we become other-centered because it's just the opposite in this world. The kingdom means you don't live for yourselves. And therefore, we walk in a manner worthy, we walk in step with the Spirit, but we walk out. And this was the part I left last week. We walk out of an old lifestyle. And I want to go back to that. We walk out of doubt, and we walk out of death, and we walk in, uh, out of the demonic realm because we have been delivered from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of a son. And therefore... That's what we talked about two weeks ago. But I want to come back because in Ephesians 4, there's a little passage in there that's tucked away about, and it, you will miss it if you don't get it. Uh, I don't want you to miss it. That when Jesus came, he had a purpose to really overcome everything that was against the Lordship of Christ. And therefore, he's going to bring everything back under his rule. And therefore, the theme this morning, and here's your theme for chapter 4, uh, we want to look at the fact that God is out to bind the strong man. And whatever it is that may be tripping people up or causing people to fall, God is going to attack and be on the move to set people free from those things, no matter what it is. If it's depression, if it's anorexia, if it's financial woes, if there's a lack of wisdom or or insensitivity or anger. God is on the move to help people grow in grace, to be grounded. And then you'll find that there's a sense that when we move, we get an understanding of how God moves in us, through us, and through the gifting that he gives to us in the church. 
But first of all, he's going to bind that strong man, and then he's going to make the believers strong men and women. And those are the two themes that bookend this chapter. God is out to make us people who will walk in a manner worthy because we follow him who is worthy. And therefore, follow these themes that there's going to be a binding of the strong man. Now, that has implications for you and me as we'll get into it. And we're going to be thinking about building, what, what that building of the church is all about. It's the nature of the church to grow. And this is the, the-, the second theme, that if you are in Christ and if you are growing in Christ and if you are maturing in grace, you will be able to move with unity in step with the Spirit and in step with other believers. Now this idea of unity is a mark of the kingdom. And therefore, next week we'll talk about, or in two weeks we'll talk about, churches who forget their calling and who become weakened and forfeit the very purpose that God's called them to do. And that's happening in our culture. We'll do that next week. But again, let me go back to the idea of binding the strong man. So here's the question I asked last week. Where did Jesus go on Good Friday when he died? On the cross when Jesus physically collapsed and his spirit was taken over. Where did he go? What happened to the spirit of Christ? And so I mentioned last week, and the question was, did Jesus go to hell? Now, if you listen to a lot of the Western, uh, the Apostles' Creed and several creeds for the last couple hundred years, there has been a, a confusion about this because of the translations. But Jesus, uh, in some of the Apostles' Creed, says he went into hell. And so uh, I, wanted you, uh, I wanted to clarify that. Jesus did not go into hell because Hell does not yet exist. He went to the place of death. He went to the place of Hades, Sheol, where the unbelievers go in the Old Testament and the unbelievers go in the Old Testament. It's a, it's a place where dead uh, souls exist until the final resurrection, until the judgment. Hell comes into play after the second judgment in the book of Revelation. But in the meantime, Christ goes to the place of death. And in that place of death where the unbelievers are in the presence of the demons and the death and, the, and Satan's ruling down there and in Hades. But there's also the paradise, those who believers who when they die, when Christ went and descended into the place of death, he came out and he, he took captive the captives. And when Christ goes into Hades, he's declaring what he did on Friday on the cross just a couple hours ago. It is finished. I have conquered death. I have conquered the grave. I'm going to conquer everything. And when Christ was on the earth and he walked on the earth, what did the demons do? Well, they shuddered. Have you come to destroy us? And he says, yes, I've come to destroy. I've come to reverse the curse. I've come to take all those lies and deceit that you sowed in my believers. And I'm taking them out. And the demons would just shudder. Can you imagine when Jesus walked into Hades? The demons must, they just fled. Scared, because he would destroy the very place that they were in the darkness. 
So when Christ went into that place of death, he pulled out the believers. And when a believer dies now in Christ, he no longer goes to the place of death. He goes to be with the Lord in paradise. And that's why he said to the thief, today you will be with me in paradise. Now, the idea that's important here is this. God had to bind that strong man that death and doubt and the demons and darkness would not have any hold over anybody over you or over me. And when Christ would go in, when he went into Hades, he went up and he took the keys of Hades. And he says, I am the Lord of Hades, not you, Satan. You are under my authority. I have the keys of Hades. I have the keys of death. And when Christ came out of the resu- through the resurrection, he had all power and he had all authority. And he gave that authority to the disciples and says, all authority has been given unto me. Go, therefore, and make disciples. And what that means is this, that you have the power to bind any oppressive spirit, anything that would hold you back from understanding the love of God. And God wants you to be free. I want you to be free. The Spirit of God came to make us free. And that's why we want to go into the prisons. And therefore, as you go into the place of the dead, what we bring is the hope of life. We have good news. We can set people free. Uh-oh, there it went. <laughs> On the remote again. And therefore, as we go into... Um, as we go into the idea that what Christ is doing on the move, as he moves us out, there you are. As he moves us into those places of darkness, he says, I am the living one. I was once dead, but I am alive. And if you are in Christ, you too are alive. That there's something about being a Christian. There's something about being called, being touched by the one who sets you free. That you too are to say, I am alive. And therefore, when he descended into the lower parts and he ascended, that same power that brought Christ back from the dead is the same power available to you today to deal with whatever. And therefore, as we understand from Ephesians, Christ broke down the the demonic wall. He broke through and Satan would have to flee. And he did flee. And he would flee you if you resist him and call him out. He broke down the demonic wall, Ephesians 4, 9 and 10. And Jesus broke down the dividing wall. He said that earlier as we saw that wall of hostility. Christ would break everything that was not gracious not loving, not of the kingdom. And therefore, this idea that God does not want any division because division is not of the kingdom of heaven, the dividing wall. And yet in our country, we are probably now more divided than we ever have been. We used to be one country under God, undivided. Now you take God out of the country, we become a divided country. This idea of a wall, all around the world, wherever there's a wall put up, there's hatred or prejudice or rejection. In Azerbaijan, on the Armenian border, on the ghetto wall, remember in Poland, for the Jews, that what the, the Jews survived uh, 
together, but encapsulated, locked into a wall. And of course, when Ronald Reagan says, Mr. Gorbachev, tear down that wall. We're having talk about wall on the Mexican border. I've been in China. If you've been on the Great Wall of China, you begin to see how much, how common it is for people to be blocked off. And yet climbing that Great Wall of China is no fun. It is a workout. It's, but you have a country divided. Wherever a division is, the spirit of the world, the spirit of the demonic is at work because he wants to divorce and break down everything. There are other walls in Kairos and prison walls. There are walls that lock you in. And this is a scene of a uh, protective custody unit. And if you, look, if you go into this prison and this particular area, you're locked into a little cell and you only get out one hour a day. So these men are really locked away behind walls. But the choice for sin, for the choice for the unbeliever, as C.S. Lewis said, the choice of every lost soul can be expressed in the words, it's better to reign in hell than serve in heaven. I don't want God at all in my life. And there's a lot of people like that because they're under the darkness, under that doubt, under whatever wall that keeps them out of heaven. And therefore, Jesus wants to break down the demonic. Jesus wants to break down the division. And therefore, what Christ is after is this bringing together, this gathering together, this strengthening, this unifying, this fact that we are together solid as one, as he is one. That's the kingdom mark, that we get along, that we don't have conflict like the world does or, or, or destruction like the world does. Therefore, we bind that strong man. We deal with those issues, those attitudes that lead us into self, selfish independence. And that's what Paul said in Ephesians 2, when we walked according to the world, the prince of this world, we were on our own path. We were not going to be connected to anyone. But you know that story where Jesus went after each lost sheep. And he crossed the river, crossed the lake into the area of the Gadarenes. And there was one man there who was demonically possessed. The, Gadar the Gerasene or the Gadarene demoniac. And yet they... He was so violent that they had to chain him up. And what we think about when people are really violent, you've got to lock them away. Jesus says, no, 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 no. You don't deal with, with violence by controlling them and warehousing them. and lock. That doesn't touch the war inside. And so when Jesus said to that demoniac, <clears throat> I'm going to touch you and heal you, what you need is not change. What you need is to be set free. And he did. And those demons went into all those pigs. But there that, that man who was just destroyed by the demons who took over his life. Luke says he was clothed and he was seated in his right mind. Clothed and seated. This is a symbol of a disciple. One who's going to learn from the Lord of glory. Who's going to set this man free. Who is in darkness into glory. 
So we have to bind the strong man. We have to bind those demonic influences. And this is what Christ said. When I come out of this hell, Hades hole of darkness, nothing will stop me. The gates of hell won't stop. You You won't be able to conquer the Spirit of God when He is in control. And that's the call for us. And so, and so uh, I tell you, Peter and the disciples, on this rock I will build my church. So it's not just salvation. It's this building part that we're going to look at. Christ is not just to set people free from the damage. You can take care of behavioral problems that are, that are bad, but that doesn't make you good. An alcoholic can quit drinking, but that doesn't mean he's going to stop beating his wife. Salvation in one area has to be comprehensive and holistic. And therefore, he's going to set you free from this to that. And therefore, as we go into this, here's where the word grace comes in. And as you understand grace, grace is given to each one individually. When Christ came out, he gave grace in Christ as he's apportioned to each individual. And therefore, grace... Grace is the great theme that we need to focus on and grow in because this is the thing that will overcome evil. You can't deal with evil with analysis, with research, with government policies. You deal with evil by setting it free from the judgment and introducing goodness. Evil can't handle grace. And therefore, what is grace? Uh, Something that I would say... If you don't know what grace is, and oh, let me tell you, I wish we could go off on this one, but we won't. But this is my measure for maturity. Getting used to grace, being able to let God come into your spirit and touch you at your weakest, at your worst, when you, are, when you really are found out as a completely flawed, fallen human individual that you don't have it together. You don't have enough to earn heaven. Getting used to grace that God would constantly come to you and minister to you. What a wonderful, wonderful message. But grace means this, according to the dictionary, it's a simple elegance of refinement of movement. She moved through the water with effortless grace. Grace enables people to move towards each other in spite of whatever issue is on the table. Grace moves towards others to bless, to give, to love. Because Love is not self-serving. Love is not self-focused. Love is not self-absorbed. Love is thinking about, what can I do when I move into this relationship to bring about the blessing? This is the noun grace, but the the verb grace is to do honor or to credit someone by one's presence. She bowed out from the sport uh, she graced for two decades. I think of Serena Williams and her, her gracing uh, uh, this week in, in spite of unbelievable circumstances. She, she graced the whole sport 
by not uh, fighting and honoring her victor. Grace means it's God's riches at Christ's expense. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace. Grace is the unconditional, unmerited favor of God to make us acceptable. Now keep this in mind because it gives us the right standing in his sight. If you understand grace, then you understand that your worst days are not so bad, are never so bad that you are beyond the reach of grace. And your best days are never so good that you are beyond the need of God's grace, said Jerry Bridges. Grace is the thing that's going to not only unbind uh, you from all those things, but it's going to liberate you into loving other people. And therefore, if you understand that God's going to give that to you, then you understand as the church, as John says, dear friends, since God so loved us with an unconditional agape love, we also ought to love one another. And there it comes, that when God's grace comes in, he's going to impart that in a, in a, in a situation like the church. But the question is, are you growing in grace? Have you received grace? Well, how does God do that? How does God get grace into the church? Well, here's this bodybuilding. You're going to bind the strong man who's, who's strong, but he's going to build strong men and women by the grace of God. And therefore, look at this. When Christ came out of the, out of the grave, when Christ came back in the resurrection, when Christ ascended, what it says that he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and the pastor teachers. He gave these offices and these roles as a gift to the church. Well, how is the church going to grow in grace? God says, I'm going to equip the church with equippers. I'm going to give apostle. What's an apostle? Apostle means the sent one. The one who's sent. And so we know there are 12 disciples who became 12 apostles who were sent to, to do the Great Commission, like the Woos were doing. But the idea of, of apostles, are there apostles today? Are there modern day apostles? Is that gift still alive today? The answer is no. Because to be an apostle... And according to the scriptures, you had to be in the presence of Jesus, the whole life ministry of Christ. You had to see the resurrection of Christ to be a witness to that resurrection and to be filled to do the mighty acts of, work, mighty acts of God. That's the definition of the apostle. They had to be the original 12 to see Christ, to walk with Christ, to see the resurrection, and then to do the mighty works he did. Now, there are many people who will use that word as an apostle today. But biblically, we know that that gift as ceased. How about prophets? Are there prophets today? And again, there's a lot of confusion about this, but let me just make it very clear. Uh, the prophet was used by God until the canon of Scripture was closed. There were prophets like Agabus in the, in the book of Acts. There were prophets who were there who were going to communicate the will of God to guard the people of, of the church, but they were to do so until the canon of Scripture had been closed. And there's, there's the prophet that says, this is what God is doing. Now there's a lot of, a lot of 
discussion about prophecies and the gifts of prophecies that will go on later on. But these two in particular, when the Bible talks about that, you don't find that later on uh, throughout the writings of the New Testament. The prophets weren't, and the apostles weren't the focus. But now you come to that third, the third one is the evangelist. There are evangelists who were gifted. They were just gifted. And they were just able to move in and bring people to Christ right and left. And we know those men. Uh, Billy Graham, obviously, George Whitfield, and a number of other historical evangelists. And they proclaimed. They, they didn't reason or they didn't try to uh, listen to people. and They simply proclaimed. They declared, this is what God has done. And they brought people to Christ. They were gifted men. But now in some translations, the fourth gift is called pastors and teachers, depending on which version. There is no and in the Greek. It's not pastors and teachers. It's one word. And the pastor hyphen teacher is the one who is gifted to help people understand what the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists were saying. And this is the teaching part. This is the discipling part. This is the equipping part that these teachers were given to the church to help the church grow. And therefore, Paul would say, as you have received Christ by faith in grace, if you receive Jesus as Lord, you continue to let your, uh, let your lives, live your lives in him, rooted and built up. And there's that idea of being built. You have to be constructed or developed or built, grow up in him. Strengthen in the faith just, and here it is, look at that, just as you were taught. And you have to be taught to understand what grace is because this is not a natural thing. It's a supernatural thing for all of us to understand that we need to be taught where it becomes overflowing in our lives. The grace leads to gratitude. And therefore, as you understand that God does not just call you, save you, bring you out and leave you on your own. You're called into a community where people learn to be equipped. And this is the role of the pastor. This is my job description. As I understand it, that the fundamental calling that I have is as a pastor teacher is to equip, prepare. And this is the same thing that, that Jesus, when he was walking on the, the, the lake and he saw those disciples, the, the fishermen over there, they were mending their nets. The idea of mending, of, of bringing back and restoring those things, the idea of mending, of fixing that net so it would hold the fish, that's the same word of equipping. It means that there's something that you need in Christ to be mended, to be restored, to be healed, to be strengthened. You have it in the church. And therefore, the role of the pastor is to equip you with whatever you need to be healthy and wise and strong. And therefore, to be equipped, equipping his people means that you get an understanding of grace. That when you move in your world, you move with the same mindset that Christ says, I'm going to bind this strong man, I'm going to set you free, and I'm going to give you the grace so that you can move gracefully. And you can accept that which is unacceptable. And you can address that which is wrong, but you'll speak the truth in love.
Wow. So that you may do the work of service for the equipping of the saints to the, um, for the work of service. And what is that service? What is that service? It's that you become a, 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 you become a torch with two feet. A torch of grace. That wherever you are, you walk around. And your very presence brings grace. By the way, do you know what the word welcome means? When you knock, somebody knocks on the door and says, welcome, come on in. You know what the word welcome means? It's the Hebrew word shalom. That the blessing of God comes shalom, they would say in Hebrew. In English, we say welcome. It means when you come into my presence, I am made well. Because you have come, I am blessed. Because you have come, I am made well. Because you bring something to me, and your very presence is a wonderful thing. And that's when, when I walked in this morning and saw Deidre, I thought, yay. You know, it's just, when, you, when you see people come together, you just, you light up. It's a wonderful thing to be greeted in grace. It's a terrible thing to be greeted with a fist or a stiff arm, not in the church. We don't have those conflicts because we are growing in grace. We're grounded in, in the love of Christ. And therefore, in the body of Christ, as we show grace to each other, we may be built up because as we show that grace to each other, then we become strong in grace. We become uh, together in grace. We become loving and we're growing until we all reach that unity. The Trinity of God is one solid relationship. And therefore the church is not a divided into conflict, not divided because of doctrine, not divided because of personality, not, not divided because we're weak. We are called to grow in grace, knowing that we don't have it together. And therefore, if you understand this is a safe place to be undone, to be known in your sin, to be known that you can have healing, restoration, deliverance, whatever you need. God is out to help you grow. And therefore, as we understand that when grace comes, you bring something. You bring something to this church. And what you do, you join together and it's held together by every single one of you having grace ooze out in your relationship. And that's the mark of maturity. If you're going to bind the strong man and build strong man, it's going to be rooted in how you move in your relationships. And if you're not moving in relationships and grace, that's fine. You're welcome to come here. Because you don't know how to do that. But in Christ, he's calling us all to learn how to move towards other people with an other-centered agenda. I am here for you. I am here to help you. I'm here to restore you. I, I'm, whatever you need, the church is here for you. You won't get that in the world. And you won't get that on your own. You will get that here at CBC. That's where we're growing. That's, ex that's exciting to me. And to see that you become people who just don't have to deal with the stress the same way the world deals with it because you've got a shepherd who's going to go after those wolves. You've got one who really is committed to you. And therefore, don't fear, little flock. Don't fear. Grace, wherever there's sin, grace abounds. 
and you move because God wants to touch you and heal you and he wants you to touch others and heal them as well. This is the power that Paul was saying to the Ephesians. If you get a hold of this, you can't be silent. Let me tell you two, let me end with two stories. One was a story of a woman who jumped off a bridge. This was just a couple days ago and they're still in the throes of this. And that lady has broken knees, broken thighs, broken ribs, uh, broken wrists, broken uh, uh, her face. They couldn't find a place to put the pins in. She's lost all of her teeth, jaws, both jaws broken. Trying to commit suicide. Her aunt, or sorry, her mother-in-law uh, went to the church and broke down. And no one in that church went to that lady. And she was most vulnerable and broken. And not a single soul went up to her, put, her arm, put their arms around her. And she's going to leave that church. I said, yes, I understand why. You should. There's a second story of a, of a, a church where the deacons started to attack the pastor said, you're not, you're not qualified, you're not gifted, you're not called by the Spirit. I don't even think you're even worth following as a pastor. And the deacons turned on this guy. And they're in the middle of a church split. You wouldn't believe what's going on. And I'm saying, every time you see division or conflict, and you see people who are afraid to move, you have an immature church that doesn't move in grace. I don't want that for you. I pray that God would strengthen us so that we would be people of love, that we know grace because we have tasted, we have received, and we have people around us who care about us. And you do. You do care. I know you do. I've seen it. And I'm so glad to be part of this. My job is to help you grow and equip you to do this great, great work that when you see people struggling, God will send you into that relationship and through you in him you can help people be set free that's good news that's great news do you have the faith for it ah god's in here <laughs> we've got to grow there's a lot of work to do well let's stop here there's so many good things coming up but you will hear god at work in the stories of people around you. There are 12 people you've got on your list to pray for. You'll hear more about that later. Keep praying for those 12. And we'll, uh, we'll continue to ask God to bless us here in, in Chester. Let's, let's close in a word of prayer. You're not a safe lion, but you're a good lion. And Aslan's on the move. Father, we want to ride with you. We want you to take us to a place where we have to walk by faith. As scary as that might be, as secure as that might be, Father, we want you to show us your glory, show us your goodness as we take the good news to the lost. We bind the strong men and we build strong men and women in the grace of Christ. So Lord, would you do that for us here? And we ask that in Jesus' special name. Amen. Amen.